Let's go to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 28. I'd like to have a dollar for every time I've been to Matthew 28 in my ministry. But this uh, month is going to be mission conference. And I'm glad that we have the chance to every year at this time emphasize what the Bible has to teach about evangelism and, and uh, mission conference. It's a, a good, Peter said, uh, it, it put them in remembrance, put in, in uh, four verses there. He said three times we need to put them in remembrance, put them in remembrance, put them in remembrance. And uh, I find that young preachers, they, they like to preach new subjects, you know, when uh, maybe John 3.16 should be preached every Sunday for a while because we need to be put in remembrance. And particularly in this area of mission work, because I think sometimes uh, we find ourselves uh, being controlled by the, what uh, one man wrote, the tyranny of the urgent, the urgent things uh, that need to be done. And, and the, the best things are things that we can always pick up and do, but often the best things get put to the side. And so good often crowds out and becomes the enemy of the best. <coughs> and uh, we're going to do this a little different this morning, <coughs> hopefully. Uh, but I want you to participate a little bit more. And uh, <coughs> we're going to see here in verse 16 that he's meeting with the disciples. And so to the best of your ability, forget what you ate this morning or didn't eat. And try to put yourself in the mindset of one of these disciples. And so this group over here is Peter and James and John. And uh, we might call upon you to think a little bit this morning. I know that could be hard for some of you, but we need to uh, put ourselves in remembrance. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so I want you to imagine yourself back nearly 2,000 years ago, being there on the mountain and the Lord coming and speaking these words. And imagine how you would have felt as Peter or James or John. And uh, how would it have moved you? What would your thinking be? And so what, what is the time frame here in Jesus's life where are we at in uh, in the time of Christ dwelling here upon the earth Peter okay so he's he's rose from the grave and just that would be pretty pretty significant wouldn't it to be facing and listening to uh, your you're one that you gave your life to, that he's alive, and he's a, made a, a, sp a particular appointment. I had a, uh, <coughs> had a preacher years ago say that, say that uh, when Peter was fishing on the lake there and Jesus said, uh, you know, lovest thou me, that Peter was really there because the Lord told him to go down into Galilee, but he didn't go tell him to go down to fish, but he told him to go into the mountain and he'd meet him there. And so there was a specific appointment with this resurrected one, and he's about to ascend into heaven. If that's true, then these are going to be his very last words to, to uh, his disciples in, uh, where he's present. They're going to be weighty words. 
and they're going to be words that arrest your attention. So these words, are, there's, they're what's said here in what we call the Great Commission, it's, it's packed full of stuff, but the importance for Peter and James and John is that this is from the Lord's mouth, and these are the last directive that the Lord gave to us personally. He told them to go down to the next town. He sent them out two by two, the 70. But here he's uh, given him the very last words. And, of course, we could talk about someone about to die, and he's going to say some things. And these are important words. They're weighty words. They're not words of, that's frivolous. But they are, uh, they're, uh, I don't want to say deadly serious, but they're serious. And uh, they deserve to be uh, listened to. And then it says here, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. And so I want, I want us to think of, about uh, who, who, does this, who does this apply to? What's the application? Who is responsible to get in line and obey what has uh, been said here. Well, we know that the 12, uh, the, 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 the 11, of course, uh, Judas, Judas is gone. So it's spoken to the 11, but there's a little problem here when he says that the last, in verse 20, even, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And so, uh, as far as I know, I've not seen Peter, James, and John around. In fact, we find some of their deaths recorded in the Bible. And so it, it couldn't be speaking just to ele the 11, and that when the 11 died, then this commission no longer is in effect because they're not here anymore. And so it, it must be uh, more than that. And, and then there's some that believe that, well, there's a deal of uh, apostolic succession that, that the office of the apostle was passed on. But there's some requirements for that when we find in the book of Acts when they're going to replace Judas. And it talks about how that they needed to be with the Lord uh, from the beginning, have the baptism of John, and uh, be eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And nobody fits that today. And so... Any group of people who say that they're apostles are some other kind of apostle than biblical apostles. So that doesn't apply. And then secondly, it says there's an idea here, <coughs> this application. Well, the Bible is written to all mankind, and so it must apply to uh, each, um, each uh, Christian Individually. And so we each, as we're saved and become part of the family of God, that each of us is responsible for going to all nations and <coughs> making disciples. That word teach, we'll look at that pretty quick. And baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to deserve all things whatsoever I command you. Okay, so, well, it's given to individuals. But when you just do a little bit of thinking here, that's absurd. Unless you, you have a, like the Pied Piper had a, a following, he'd win someone and they'd all go with him to the world. But you can't, you can't win someone to the Lord in, in, in North Pole, Alaska, uh, disciple them, and at the same time be going into all the world. It's not, it's not possible for individuals uh, without help to do it. And so it can't just be talking to individuals. It's got to be, it's got to be more than that uh, because it's impossible. And so the conclusion that I've come to, and I hope to convince you, that when he speaks these words, the application is that he's talking to the church, a New Testament church. 
And um, if, you'll, if you'll turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us something here that's very interesting. And we might need to follow up on this someday, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 It says in uh, verse 28, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. And so we find here that the Lord says in this passage that these 11, these apostles, were in the church. And and a little bit about uh, the church. I mean, uh, one of the key verses here is verse 27. We find, uh, we find the Bible says that, that uh, the church, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the, all things to the church, which is his body. And so when we see church equals body, and you see there in verse 27 of this passage, he says specifically to the church at Corinth, ye are the body of Christ. Not that you are part of the body, but every church is a body. And so when, he's, when it says that he set them in the church, you have to understand that sometimes in the Bible, the word church, majority of the time, the word church is used for a specific a place, whether it be Corinth or Rome or Thessalonica. It's a specific place with a specific group of people that form a, a body. But sometimes in the Bible, the word church is used in what we would call a generic sense. Like if I said, if I said uh, the car is the greatest killer in America, then we, we don't have one big old stomper car going around running over people, but we use that in a generic sense. And to get to the specifics of it, we'd have to go to a specific place where, where a car hit another car and killed them. And, and, and so every time when we think about the word church, that it's, it's a local assembly of people organized to carry out the Lord's work. And one of the qualifications of that, of course, is to uh, be baptized. And so, so what I'm saying here this morning is that, that it's to church bodies. And uh, I guess I'll just jump the gun here. But uh, this commission applies to Plaque Road Baptist Church as much as it did to these 11 who were representatives of the first church. Amen. And so what the Lord's saying to them, he says just as powerfully to, to us. And you know, and I'm thankful for the, the, the giving of uh, mission dollars in, in through this church. But that's not even found in this commission. How do you measure a church? How do you measure the success of the church? Well, success is kind of a term that really gets way out there. But, but uh, maybe we should measure churches by the evangelism they do and the, and the daughter churches they produce. That God expects us to just as much as he expected Peter, James, and John to do what he said. The resurrected Lord. And so, how are you feeling about that? Peter and James and John. How are you feeling about these words that the Lord has given you? What? I mean, we know that there was a, Acts chapter 1, verse 15, that there was 120 assembled in the upper room. And so as he speaks, he's speaking here to the leaders 
of the, of the church, the, the apostles. But he's saying to them that uh, I expect you, uh, <laughs> what did it say? All nations. He wanted them to go to all the nations, to be concerned about all the nations, to teach all nations. Now, to be realistic, we know that the Lord does use other churches and missionaries go to different places and we can help them out financially. But to be realistic also is that we should be concerned for every nation. We're Alaskans. We're isolated. Keep the lower 48 where they belong. Put a sign like it has in Oregon. Welcome to Oregon. Enjoy your visit. But we have a job to do. And so he said uh, to teach all nations. It's given to the local church. And uh, it's not just the responsibility of the pastor, is it? And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry, that they could do the work of the ministry, and so the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, let's note these words here. He says in verse 18, all power, all power. Um, we know that there's two words for power, uh, at least th there may be more, uh, maybe the word energy is, is for power too, but there's two words for power in relationship to the Great Commission. This one here, in the original language, it's exousia, which means very little, but it has to do with authority. And let me give you a, a, a definition for that. This power here is, is, is the power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to. That's exousia. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see you should receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you. And that's, that's the word dunamis, but that's ability. The ability to do something. But this word here, he says, okay, okay, guys. I, all power, Authority power, the right power. <clears throat> when, when the red lights come on behind you and the siren goes whoop, 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 you pull over if you're smart. If you're not smart, you'll eventually pull over. <laughs> but why do you pull over? Because they have the power to stop you when you're breaking the law. When Jesus said all power, you know, I mean, uh, we can usually see that in a positive way. When they say, what are, you th what are you doing here on my doorstep talking to me? And they said, well, I have the, God has sent me to do that. That's the authority. But in this sense, uh, it, uh, the flip side of that is this, is that he has all the power of all there is in heaven and earth. 
and he should be submitted to. And he should be obeyed. Okay, Peter. I mean, you kind of already dealt with this, but we know Peter went back to preaching. Okay, Peter, uh, what about your business? You know, Peter's preaching business, there was, there was a partnership there with James and John and Peter and Andrew. They worked together. There was a livelihood. What if uh, John, what if uh, the Lord wants you to uh, set aside all your dreams, set aside all your business deals, and just completely focus on going into all the world? Does he have the right to do that? And if he does do that, what should your response be? We need, we need to submit. And so how does that set with you? Well, you know, I'm just getting over COVID and kind of enjoying getting back into work schedule and I'm Got my house mostly paid for, or just got in my new house, whatever, wherever you're at. And actually, Lord, I don't have time to mess with that right now. How much money do you think these 11 had in the bank? The world? <laughs> uh, all I'm saying is, is that uh, we got to make the major thing the major thing. Yeah. And so he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he says, go ye therefore. Now what's interesting about this passage, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them of all things whatsoever I command you, and Lord, I'm with you always into the end of the world. Amen. In the in language, there's what is called the imperative, and an imperative is a command. It's imperative that you do this. Well, then it's a command. There's two commands in this passage. And the first command is not go. We would think, well, it's got to be, the command's got to be go. It's not go. In fact, uh, go is actually a participle. I, I hate grammar, but really it means in going. Participles usually end in ing. So going, uh, baptizing, and teaching. Ing, ing, ing are all participles. They're not commands. It's a participle. I'm going. And so, what I want you to see here is that the Lord didn't command them. It's, a, he, it's already saying, okay, now, in going, teach all nations. There's the command. We'll talk about that. He, he never... He's already said all, all the power, we had that written up there, you know, the power the command of, of the commands to be submitted to. He already said, I have all powers in me. And he said, now in going, teach all nations. 
You see, it never, in this command, the Lord didn't want it to enter into their minds, and surely it wasn't in his mind that they would think about not going. And going, this is what you need to do in going. So how does that set with Peter, James, and John? Sometimes I wonder, you know, I understand we talk about surrendering to the ministry, but I wonder if sometimes if that word surrender is not kind of a foreign term. <laughs> we just need to do what he tells us to do. And going. I don't know whether I mentioned this now or what. Uh, when I came to Alaska 36 years ago, there was a man here that started Badger Road Baptist Church and Two Rivers Baptist Church by the name of Gene C. Gene C. started Two Rivers Baptist Church 47 years ago. He went out in a community that just opened up and people were buying property and building houses and two families came with him from the lower 48. He'd already started Badger Road and went back for deputation and joined Rogers Baptist Church and came back to Alaska to start a church in Two Rivers. They bought a sawmill and milled their own lumber, built their own buildings, had services at campfires Whenever they moved into their building, he preached the gospel by, in the evening uh, by a Coleman lantern. People got saved. They, they come to Alaska to escape the lower 48 and escape society. They were looking for something, and they got saved. And the first generation Christians were, I, I, 36 years it allowed me to see some things. And the first generation Christians were, Christians on fire for the Lord. They'd have special classes. They, they went to Ninana, go knock all the doors in Ninana. They were trying to do something for the Lord. The second generation Christians came along, and I know those people, and they talked about what they did as first generation Christians. How, how Brother C came, and Brother C sacrificed, and Brother C, Brother C, and what they did. And they became cultural Christians. There was a few, there was a, a, a couple of missionaries came out of the second generation. But I know those people, and I know that their separation standards went by the wayside, and Christianity became cultural. And the third generation, their sons and daughters, uh, they lost to the world. And last week I heard that they had deeded all their property to another church and disbanded. Listen, we'll either evangelize or fossilize. And the Lord wants us to go into all the world. And that's where he wants our focus to be. Go ye therefore in going. And then we have the imperative. We have the command here. Teach all nations. That uh, means to make disciples. And so that teach all nations uh, of course, uh, if it's, it means to make disciples, discipling. And of course, that, that begins with salvation, preaching the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. 
But God never t intended for you to go to a Billy Graham crusade and get saved, and then if you do get saved, if there's some that have been saved, and then go to the church of your choice. He expects, he expects a New Testament church to disciple those who've been one to the Lord. Amen. And so it's, it's, it's more than just seeing people saved. We're to make, we're to make reproductions. We're to ground people. It, it takes the word of God to, to ground people's lives. And to, we need to disciple them. One guy said a disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ and, and then being discipled. It's a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Jesus Christ to come alive in us. And I think it's important that uh, we understand that discipleship is dying to ourselves and not just obtaining information. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Uh, maybe we should go over to Revelation chapter 3. You see, uh, uh, telling that little Two Rivers story, uh, I'm not given 36 years of my life here expecting you guys to not do what the Lord told us to do. And if we don't, then your children are going to go to the world. And the needs of the world aren't going to be met. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy and he that is true and he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. And so God has opened a door, is going to open a door that no one can shut. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength. Look at that little strength, and has kept my word, and has not denied my name. I've noticed, and maybe this is true of Plaque Road, but I've noticed uh, other churches that uh, when the bank accounts are full and the building properties are in order, The vision dims. When I was getting paid $830 a month and we were supporting five missionaries, we were wanting to take five more on. And during that process, <laughs> it got kind of unbalanced and uh, the, the, I was leading them to do more and more. And... Uh, we were trying to do more and more, and uh, they had voted to raise the missionaries, uh, giving the amount like about five times, and I was still living with uh, now four kids and $830 a month, and I was kind of getting stiff in, the, stiff in the back about that. And so I just told them. You know, I've been here. You give me this salary. I come with two kids. And now I have four kids. And you've not increased my salary. And uh, you've raised the missionary support five times. And here's what happened. Not a single man in the audience didn't have tears running down his face. Because he knew he needed to take care of the pastor. And so there's a priority to different things. But the number one priority is to go into all the world. 
And here this church had little strength. But what a church. Doors open unto them that no one can close. And uh, the vision needing to uh, preach the gospel to every creature. And then he says here, uh, all nations. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you, shall be, uh, and you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the world. I heard a man at uh, Rogers Baptist Music Conference one time preach that you shouldn't go uh, to Judea until you've covered Jerusalem. Well, he just didn't know his Bible. That our vision should be more. And, and we ought to have a vision for the natives in Alaska. But our vision should be more than just the Athabascan Indians in Alaska. And it should be more even than the Muslim people of Lebanon. This is a big world. And it's a lost world. And we ought to be open. But it begins with, uh, it begins with lifting up our eyes and looking and being moved with compassion. As, as sheep having no shepherd. And then he says, we're to baptize them. Romans 6 tells us that we're planted together in the likeness of his death, that baptism is an identification with Christ, has no saving qualities, and we won't teach on baptism this morning, but uh, baptism identifies us. And we know that in Acts Two, it says, they that gladly received the word were baptized, and they were added unto them, added to the church. And when you get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, before verse 13, you're going to see how he talks about by the Spirit, by the Spirit, that people were led to do this by the Spirit. People were led to do this by the Spirit. People were led to do this by the Spirit. But the universal church people, when they come to verse 13, they say, no, it's not being led by the Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the baptizing into the universal invisible church, into the body of Christ. Well, I've already showed you that he said that you are the body of Christ and not part of it, and that baptism places you within a local New Testament church. And so there's a need, there's a need, the Lord, the Lord, in this commission, it's so, it's so compact and so, so concise. But the Lord knew that there was a need for disciples to be in the institution of the church for protection. For if not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. You better be in church because you're not supposed to be forsaken. But why? Exhorting one another. That, that, that there's something very, very... Uh, harmful for you when you're not in fellowship and not in a place where there's a man who watches for your soul. What a, I don't know if you've ever sat around and thought uh, much, but what a, what a privilege to be a member of a New Testament church. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been allowed to be on both sides of that, 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 you know, for years I was the pastor, 29 years. But what a different perspective when Pastor Dimelo came and for the first time in 29 years, I had a man that cared for my soul and watched for my soul and could uh, get my face if he needs to be and can pat me on the back when I need it and I need it and you need it. But a church, put them in the church, and then to teach them, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then the first command we said is teach, and the second command 
is low. Interesting. Low. It's like, I think sometimes we look at that and we say low. It's like, hey, yo, hey, hey, yo. Hey, what you doing? It's like, you know, but no, that word really means behold, I am with you. Yep, I've given you a pretty big job. And there's going to be other churches started that's going to enter into this job. But I'm with you. That what he's asked us to do, he's not asked us to do alone. He's with us. It's impossible. What he's asked here for us to do is impossible. But he can do it. If you've ever been to Nilchik, Alaska, or Nilchik High School, uh, you'll see that it's Podunk Town. And how can old Podunk Noah George wind up as a missionary preaching last, yesterday, uh, it's a different time now, in, in Beirut, Lebanon, and uh, I don't know how many he had, but a couple of weeks ago he had 75 people where probably at least 90% of them were Muslims, unsaved. Well, it was my great teaching when I discipled him. (laughs) It's Noah's wonderful personality. (laughs) I like Noah, but he's kind of stoic. No, the Lord did it. And that's what Ephesians 3.21 is all about, isn't it? Unto him be glory in the church. And lo, we need to be commanded not only to teach in going, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, but we need to be commanded that you're not in this, you're not in this with your own energy. You're not in this in your own strength. I'm not asking you to do what I won't enable you to do. And that's Acts 1.8. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. And so, uh, the uh, Great Commission. Now, in a little bit of time, I have left uh, five minutes, six minutes, stretch it out to ten. We know that salvation is compared to a birth in John 3. But what what would uh, keep a church from performing and uh, being involved in this great commission. Well, in physical birth as well as spiritual birth, you know, Christ talks about his church as his bride, and, and uh, if you look over in, the, in Isaiah, uh, more uh, it talks about the, the children of his married wife, that the Lord's going to have children through, he's going to... Uh, in uh, I, I, I should go over there, but um, it talks about he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We did esteem him smitten, stricken of God, and that word smitten has a connotation that they thought that something was wrong with Jesus because he had been smitten of God. He never had a, never married, never had a family, and the curse of God was upon him. But it goes on and talks about in another passage, more, more of his children, uh, his spiritual children. And so what God wants to birth children in and through local New Testament churches taking the gospel to the world, what prevents that? Well, one of the things that prevents uh, births is no union. <laughs> there has to be a union. And if there's going to be spiritual births, there has to be a close union with Christ. 
Well, I was visiting with Brother Wilson, and he said something outstanding that really resonated with me this morning. But he was saying, we, we, teach, about, we teach about what we should do, and, and the Bible has lots of instructions about what we should do, what we should do, uh, and things that shouldn't do, and things that we should do. But uh, oftentimes, we as preachers teach those do things when to see if, to try to change people's lives, but actually what changes people's lives is a closeness with the Lord. And when I get close to the Lord, I come away changed. And a church will not reproduce if it doesn't have a union with the Lord. We cannot serve God and mammon. He's not going to allow it. God is jealous enough that he's not going to allow it. He's not going to put up with it. As we're going to be a part of the great universal bride, but even now as local, he sees us as his bride. And he's jealous over us. And he's rightfully jealous. That's not a bad term there. Well, we need to be in union with the Lord. When we're close to the Lord, <laughs> when you don't have any money and you have to say, Lord, I don't know what I can do this week. You're going to have to take care of us. And he does. It just draws me closer and closer to the Lord. And uh, if, we're going to, if we're going to be a missionary church, an evangelistic church, we're going to have to draw nigh to God. Now, what am I talking about? Because church is kind of an all-inclusive thing. I'm talking about Peter. Every one of you, how close are you? I'm talking about James. Where are you at? We'll be bopping along. Got the world by the tail on a downhill pull. And what about John? How close are you? And then the second thing that prevents reproduction is immaturity. God was smart enough not to let 10-year-olds have babies. And some churches aren't mature enough to handle a mission work, a church plant. Some churches major just on one, they just have one, one thing, and usually it's easy believism, <laughs> and it's producing fruit that's not fruit. But they need to be mature. That men need to be sent out of the church as the spear point of evangelistic work and starting churches. They need to be the best. Remember? When the Lord spoke to the church in Antioch, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. They were the best they had. They didn't know the ones come down there. The Lord came along and said, I want your preacher to go. I want your two main preachers to go. That there needs to be some maturity. Constantly teaching college classes in a local church. There needs to be maturity. And that maturity not involving just the gain of knowledge, but involve a closeness with the Lord. And then the second, the third thing that would keep a church from reproducing is uh, Disease. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord's not going to open doors that no man can shut for a diseased church. Confession of sin. Drawing nigh to the Lord. 
being put in a place where we could be used of him. Now, I've already mentioned to you, I was going to close talking to you about two rivers, but uh, Peter and James and John How much do you think they left in their wills? What Peter leave? He sold his boat. He still had his wife. John got rid of what he had. James, fisherman, he's going to give his life. Was it worth it? Well, let me ask you this. When you die, how much is what you have right now worth? We got to get our priorities back in mind, don't we? Because it's going to be a wonderful day when I see Gary Baumgartner again. When I walk the roads of heaven and uh, the new heaven and new earth being on this earth with those that God used my preaching to bring them to the Lord and all glory goes to him. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But uh, all this stuff is junk. And we have some orders. And the tyranny of the urgent can set us aside. The God of mammon wants your heart. And the Lord said, listen, all power. I'm the guy at the power. I'm the guy that's got the little red light. <laughs> you better pull over when I say pull over. And what I'm telling you to do now, in going, don't even think about my going, in going, make disciples. Preach the gospel. They'll get saved. Some won't get saved. I'll do the saving. You'll do the teaching. You'll observe all things. And uh, in the end, I'm going to get glory through my church. All right. Uh, you're dismissed.